Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, I'm going to take a text in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we'll kind of jump around a little bit. Uh, we'll go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, dealing with the presence of God. I've heard them singing a lot tonight about the presence of God. And uh, we desperately need the presence of God. We can't lose the glory. That'll be the subject tonight. <laughs> Don't lose the glory. Amen. Don't lose the glory of God. The Lord just gave me that, Brother Asher, so I'm... First <laughs> Samuel chapter 7, and we'll begin the reading at verse number 7. It says, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel and when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Why were they afraid of them? Uh, because every time they had gone up against them, they lost. And when you have a foe or an enemy that keeps defeating you, it can create fear. And if you're fighting the battle the wrong way, you're going to keep losing the battle. And Israel found that out the hard way that the method that they were using to try to defeat the Philistines was wrong. The Philistines were an inward foe. Keep that in mind. Uh, it was They were a group of individuals who were in the land. And you and I tonight, we face inward foes. A lot of times we think our job is an issue uh, or things that are around us. But oftentimes uh, we suffer defeat from without because we haven't conquered the enemy that is within. And the greatest enemy that we will face is the person that we see in the mirror every day. It is the flesh, me. I'm the problem. Somebody shout, it's me. I know that's hard to say, but that is a reality that we have to face. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took up a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And notice the words, and the Lord heard him. And the Lord heard him. And I thank God uh, tonight for strong leadership. The church, God has called men and women of God uh, he has called the fivefold ministry gift. He has called leaders to be in the body of Christ. Oftentimes we overlook this. O oftentimes we would assume if you read the book of First Corinthians, there was a dilemma in that church. There were those who said, we don't need a preacher. All we need is Jesus. And Paul had to correct that mindset because God has raised up leaders to serve in the local church. Amen, somebody. And that is something that is to be honored and to be respected, not worshipped, 
but respected and honored. Sometimes we're afraid to honor. That's why God places people in your life and places people. Why am I saying all of this? Is because Samuel was a leader in Israel. And he was the man that God called to stand out front to judge that nation and to pray for them. And Samuel knew how to get in touch with God. I don't know about you, but I want a pastor that knows how to get in touch with God. I want to sit under somebody that knows how to call on God. He's not going to panic, but even when you panic, you better thank God that you have somebody that knows how to call on God. I wish somebody would give God praise in here tonight. We've got to have that in the church. We desperately need that in the church. That when times get rough and there are times when we, have, we struggle in our walks with God, but thank God that somebody, the old saints used to sing a song, somebody prayed for me. Somebody had me on their mind. They took the time to pray for me. And I'm glad that somebody prayed for me. When I was a knucklehead, somebody was in their prayer closet calling on God just for me. And I'm grateful for that tonight. And uh, as we take the text and look at this word tonight and you go back to chapter 4, you'll find a dilemma that faced them. And that dilemma was that they had lost the ark of God. They lost the Ark of the Covenant, and when Phineas, one of the sons of Eli, his wife was pregnant, and when she was about to give birth to the child, they had given her the news that the child would be a boy, but she found no delight in having a son. She found no delight in having a child, but her heart was broken because she heard the news that Israel had lost the ark of the, the Lord. And when the child was born, she named him Ichabod. And that name means the glory has departed from Israel. And I wonder, and it breaks my heart, and I say it with no joy, that in the church today, in uh, by and large, have we lost the glory? Are we going through the motions of church but not having the presence of God and I don't want to lose the glory. How about you? I want to talk to you for just a few moments tonight. Don't lose the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, we give you praise for this service, this church, for your spirit that is here, that has been with us tonight. We ask that you would continue to move, that you would continue to have your way in this place. Lord, we're just a vessel and we need you desperately to fill us that we will preach the gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Help us to do no violence to your word or to your spirit, but that we will only preach that which is sound doctrine. And Lord, anoint the people to hear as well. And we give you all the glory and praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. What made Israel... Who she was, was not her military strength. It was not the numbers. It was not uh, the great men of God that were born in the nation. But what made Israel distinct was the presence of God. And that's what makes the church distinct today. It's not because of me or any other person or preacher, but it is because of the presence of God. And without the presence of God, Israel was just another nation. 
Without the presence of God, we would just simply be coming together tonight to have a fellowship. But when the presence of God is there present amongst a people, great things will happen for the kingdom of God. We don't need really a new program. We need the presence of God. Uh, we don't need, you know, there's a lot of talk today about a shifting and a paradigm shift and this shifting and that shifting. What we really need is a, the move of the Holy Spirit in the church and to understand how all of that comes about. And as you read in the Old Testament, you go back to the book of Exodus uh, that was instruction given to the people of God to take up an offering. And in taking up that offering, they were to uh, begin to build different pieces of furniture. Uh, they were to put together a tabernacle. This was a place that would house the presence of God. Notice that there was a place that would house the presence of God. God told them to build an altar. He told them to build the table of showbread, a table, uh, a lampstand. He told them to build curtains and to, and to bring all of this material together. And in, uh, if you walked into the place that was an outer gate and then you would walk in and then you would come to the altar and then you could go on beyond the altar and there would be a little uh, tub that you can wash in, which was a type of the word of God. The altar outside of the holy place was a type of the cross of Jesus Christ. The animal would be crucified on the altar and the blood would be taken from the altar by the high priest and taken into the holy place and when you walked into the holy place there was a lamp there and that lamp was a type of Christ the table was a type of Christ because Jesus said I'm the bread of life he said I am the light of the world he said he is the way the truth and the life and no man can come to the father but by him so when you saw the tabernacle in essence you saw Christ you saw him in some way some fashion in every aspect of the tabernacle you saw him so this tells us when you go in and then there was another place you would go into, it was called the most holy place. But not everybody could go there. It was a place that would be blocked off by a huge curtain called a veil. And when you would go behind the veil, there was another piece of furniture and it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And that piece of furniture was a box and inside of the box, if you keep reading the Old Testament, you'll find that the Ten Commandments were in that box. Remember, because of sin, those commandments were broken. And if you read the life of Moses, remember, Moses broke the commandments. It was showing us a type of the broken law of God. But there was a covering for the ark called the mercy seat. And that mercy seat was made out of pure gold and there were two cherubims over this mercy seat and they were looking down but they couldn't see the broken law. All they could see was the blood. Y'all got to get that now. And that's why we need to thank God that when God looks at us, he doesn't see who we used to be. He sees us as being in Christ. He doesn't see me as the sinner, the drunk, or whatever I used to be. He sees me as washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we shout. That's why we rejoice. That's why we're excited. It's not a fanatical show. We rejoice because we realize we got something we didn't deserve. We got the best of the trade. Somebody ought to give God praise in here tonight. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. 
Those cherubims would look down. And if you keep reading the book of Exodus, the, I'm saying all of this for a reason. Just follow me for just a few moments. Uh, the Bible says that, the, uh, that they would take this seed and put it over the box. And God told them, he said, there will I meet you in between the cherubims on top of the mercy seat. I'm so glad he decided to meet me there. Thank God for that. And so if you keep reading the Old Testament, there were uh, instructions given in the book of Exodus and then in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He would tell the priest that would come one day a year. And that day was called the great day of atonement. Uh, that the high priest would go and take blood from the altar and he would go into the holy place and go behind the veil once a year. And when he would go behind the veil, he would take that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. So when those cherubims looked down, all they could see was a blood-stained mercy seat. I know people say the cross is gruesome, but that's the only place you can be saved. That's the only place you can be delivered. And the Bible says that the high priest, when he went in, he would have on all of his priestly attire. And if you can recall the outer robe of the priest, at the bottom of it, it had bells and pomegranate. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit didn't just come to bring gifts, but he came to bring fruit. I don't want to just prophesy, but I want to have good character. I don't want to just lay hands on the sick and see them healed, but I want to love my neighbor. See, you, that's all in the gospel. There's a lot of times we want to be used by God, but we don't want to be changed by God. And that's not how it works. God says, I want to change you. Yes, I want to take you. Yes, I want to bless you, but I need to break you too because there's some flesh in all of us that wants to glory. And when the priest would go in, he would take off that outer robe. And the people outside on the Day of Atonement, they would be waiting because if he did anything wrong, he would be killed. It was just that vital that every detail be carried out correctly. He would take off this outer robe and then that linen white garment is all he had on. And he would offer up that, he would pour that blood there and the people would be outside silently waiting. And when the priest would get finished, he would put back on the robe. And when he put the robe on, they could hear the bells ringing. My mother used to sing a song all the time in the old church. They used to sing a song, I hear joy bells ringing in my soul. And that's where that came from. See, when they heard the bells, they knew atonement had been made. So there was a rejoicing amongst the people because they knew God had accepted the sacrifice. You ought to give God praise tonight because God accepted Christ's sacrifice and we've got joy bells that are ringing in our soul. Hallelujah. So they had, God had given them all of the instruction. He had, if you read the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28, if you read, uh, think about Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14 verses. It's typically where the church likes to stay. He'll make you the head and not the tail. He'll bless you. You'll be blessed going in, blessed coming. And that's good. That's what God can do. But there's 68 verses in that chapter. And the last 54 are warnings. 
that if you don't follow me, this is what's going to happen to you. And Israel had everything they needed. They had everything. They had the protection of God. They had the provision of God. They had the miracle working power of God. They had the sacrifice. They had the presence of God. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant was a type of. It was a type of the presence of God dwelling with his people. You couldn't get there without the high priest. Because when the high priest went in, he went in as a representative. Remember, there was parts of his vesture that had all of the tribes of Israel's name written on it. So when he went in, he was representing everybody. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. When he went to the cross, he went in representing everybody. And when he died, he died not just for Israel, but he died for the entire world. Because he said, whosoever believes on me should not perish but have everlasting life. I just want to show you the type and how beautiful it is. And remember Paul, when he wrote to the, uh, the book of, if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, made a statement concerned. He said, don't let what you have slip. Because what you have and what we have as a Christian, as born-again believers, it's precious. It is the most precious commodity in the world. It's pr more precious than gold. You can be a multi-billionaire and not know Jesus Christ. And a peasant who only makes $100 a month, if he knows Jesus, he's got more peace than a billionaire. That's the God that we serve. Jesus would go in and offer himself one time. The priest had to go in every year. Jesus went in one time. And if you go back and read the Old Testament, the Bible never tells us when you read in concerning the tabernacle, there were no chairs in there. Why is that important? Because the work was not done. They had to continue doing it. But when Jesus died and went to heaven, the Bible says he took a seat. How could he take a seat as our representative but the priest of all? Because they had more work to do. Jesus completed all of the work. So now that it is finished, everything we need, God has already given it to us through the person and the work of Christ. And when he died, he sat down by the right hand of the Father. And guess what he did next? He sent the Holy Spirit into the church to indwell us. Why is that important? Because I need him in order to be effective in my everyday life. I can't be effective on my own. I can have intellect. I can have, uh, I can have an orator skill. Uh, just because you can speak well doesn't mean the anointing is flowing. People don't believe that. Uh, you pay attention to uh, world leaders over the history of our nation and even other, uh, other nations. They said that some of these men, Hitler would speak and people would weep. That wasn't the anointing. I heard many uh, politicians over the years, even in this country, man, they would give some of the best speeches and people would just be sobbing and weeping, but they didn't go away with their life changed. But Smith Wigglesworth was uneducated, but the anointing got a hold of him. 
And when he would speak, people would go home changed by the power of God because that's what we need. That's who we need. The person and work of the spirit in our hearts and lives. I said all of that and so I'm just, I, I want to share the inheritance and what we have and all of this. Then we'll talk about not losing it. Because when you realize how precious it is, you guard it, you protect it. Nobody is worth your salvation. Nothing is worth the glory and the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, there's a text in St. John chapter 16 uh, that it says, it is expedient. Jesus told his disciples, it is expedient that I go away because if I go not away, the comforter cannot come. He said, when he has come, first of all, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not an it. He's not just some uh, figment of our imagination. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the triune Godhead. He speaks. He feels. He talks. He's with us. Jesus said, I will send the comforter unto you. He said, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, of judgment. I'm saying that for a reason. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness. Notice the next phrase. Because I go to the Father. What does that mean? When Jesus went to the Father... He didn't go empty-handed. Keep your mind on the Old Testament, what the priest would do. He would go into the holy place and sprinkle blood. Where would he get the blood? He would get it from the cross, the altar. Jesus went from the cross, and then he went to heaven into the holy of holies, so to speak, before the throne of God, and he presented him with something. Oh, you got to get that. He presented him with a perfect righteousness. It was as though Jesus said, here is what man needs, and now all you and I have to do in order to receive that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we receive a perfect, unspotted, unsullied righteousness. What does that mean? That means we have right standing with God. Because of one man's act of obedience, right standing. So when you go back to all of this in the Old Testament, read Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you start read Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you see God constantly say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I won't leave you. Even when Israel had went through troublesome times, when they got to a place they didn't have water to drink, God would say, put a tree in the water. I'm going to show you something. Every time, God showed himself mighty. They got to a place where they couldn't even cross the sea. God said, let me show you something. I'll move the sea. I mean, how much more that they need? They got to a place where they didn't have water to drink. He said, Moses, don't worry about it. Get that old stick in your hand and hit the rock. God was showing him, I really don't need you. I'm just going to use you. And he hit the rock and water flowed from the rock. God said, I can provide for you wherever you are. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about wherever the tree falls. Listen, wherever the tree falls, God can provide for you. The tree fell in Brighton, Michigan. Guess what? God can provide for you. God can provide for you. It fell here at Faith Worship Center. God can provide for you. God doesn't need a multimillionaire to come here to bless you. He can stir up a bunch of thousandaires. And God can raise the $250,000 because he is God. 
He said, Gideon, your army is too big. He said, if I use the 32,000, you'll get the glory. So I'll cut them down to 300 so I can get the glory. Whatever he has to do, whether by few or many, he will deliver. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He showed them who he was. They had no excuse. And out of all the goodness, see, here's a lesson. Miracles don't keep people. Israel's seen more miracles than anybody. They saw God open a sea. They saw God swallow up their enemy. They saw God make an axe head float. They, they saw God, I mean, they saw God do so, raise the dead. They saw him do many things. But yet, they went whoring after strange gods. As though God wasn't good to them. And that's why you read Deuteronomy chapter 28. God said, obey me. Sometimes we forget that little caveat when we read the Bible. That's why you got to be careful. If you read the book of Joshua, God told Joshua, he said, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. I'm going to make your journey prosperous. He said, I won't leave you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. Only don't let this book depart out of your mouth. See, sometimes we talk about the blessings, but we forget. God says, keep my word sacred. Keep my word sacred. In other words, don't depart from truth. And this brings me, that was my introduction. This gets me to the text I'm trying to go to. He told them, remember they had the ark? They had all of this. And by the time you get to 1 Samuel, Israel has dwindled away. Matter of fact, 1 Samuel says that the lamp of God was going out. It hadn't completely gone, but it had just been left. They were unconcerned with the things of God. They had begun to worship false gods. They had begun to worship Baal and the Asheroth. And I, I mean, if you go into great details of what that really is, it was sexually perverse in its nature. They, Israel had fallen. It was a dark time in the nation. And by the time you get to the book of 1 Samuel, you will find God begin to orchestrate events. And there comes a little child that's born. God always raises somebody up to bring restoration, to bring deliverance, to preach deliverance. And this little child was born named Samuel. In the time of Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were, the Bible says, worthless men. When God called you worthless men, it's one thing for somebody to call you worthless but when God says they're worthless he told Eli your sons are worthless go back and read the text they're sons of Belial and that means worthless men they had taken advantage of their position they were one pastor said this and it'll never leave my mind God is the only boss that will fire you and let you keep working Think about that for just a moment. Hophni and Phinehas had no anointing, but they were still in office. 
which shows you God doesn't anoint positions, he anoints, anoints people. So, he, yes, the, the, the call to pastor is ordained of God. But he doesn't just anoint the office of pastor. If that is the mindset, then anyone could just jump up and say, I'm a pastor, and they would automatically be anointed. No, God anoints people to serve in a specific capacity. And if you're not called, then you're out of kilter with God. And the anointing, you may know how to talk and get folk happy, but people are not going to be affected by your, 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 your gospel or whatever you're trying to do. And so Hophna and Phineas were in all office but they were not called they were taking advantage of the women they were stealing they had instituted fear in the people of God and their father Eli knew what they were doing but he would not remove them keep in mind what I said about leadership at that time they had weak leadership weak and they suffered defeat and so uh, the Bible says that when Samuel was a teenager he was a little boy uh, he was just a young man, and he went to bed, and God called him about four different times. And finally, uh, Eli realized it was God calling him, and God had to raise up a young boy to speak to the high priest and tell him what was about to happen. And then everything God said took place. And you get to chapter 4. The Bible says that Israel went to battle against the Philistines. And guess what happened? 4,000 of them died. They got back and they were confused. They said, what happened? They didn't realize. See, self-deception is the worst deception. They were so far removed from the will of God, they didn't even realize that they were in sin. It's a bad thing to be in sin and be blinded to the reality that you're in sin. And that's what happened. 4,000 died. So they had the bright idea. They said, okay, we know what we're going to do. Mind you, nobody prayed. Nobody asked God what to do. Because if they had have asked God, God would have said, fall on your faces and repent. But they didn't ask God. So they went and got the Ark of the Covenant. I said all of that to get to that one point. We preachers can chase some rabbits. Y'all forgive me. <laughs> they took the Ark of the Covenant. And they went out into battle. Guess what they did though? They shouted. They shouted so loud to where the Philistines were afraid. They said, man, they got the ark. We can't defeat them. They were shouting. And when they went into this battle, 30,000 of them died. They were really confused now. Hophni and Phinehas died. And the ark was captured. They used the presence of God as a magic symbol. They forgot the true essence of what the ark represented. They were worshiping the ark, but ark, the ark was only a symbol of what it really was. It was a symbol of the presence of God. In other words, when they looked at it, they should know God is with us. But they forgot that. And now they've lost 34,000 men. And now the ark is gone. Eli finds out the ark is gone. He falls over and breaks his neck. He dies. This woman gives birth and names the child Ichabod. And that means the glory has departed from Israel. You get to chapter 5. The Bible says that the Philistines took the ark. 
And guess what? It became a curse unto them. Because you, I don't care how messed up the church is, you can't play with God's people. You can't take that which is, the Bible says, don't give that which is holy unto dogs. And so they took it and it became a curse unto them. And then you get to chapter 6, they were trying to find out where to put it. They would say, hey, no, you take it. We don't want it over here. Well, you take it. And then they took it to Beth Shemesh. They took it to this place and took it to that place. And finally, they came up with this idea. The Philistines did. They said, we know what we're going to do. We're going to give their God an offering. And we're going to put this altar on a new cart. And we're going to send it back to Israel. And they sent it back. And the Bible says, first of all, you got to keep in mind, you don't carry the presence of God the wrong way. It was on a new cart. God never ordained it to be carried that way. Remember the Ark of the Covenant had four rings on it. And there were two sticks that were made called staves that were to be put inside of it. And it was to be borne on the shoulders of the priests. Showing us that if you want the presence of God, you got to get Christ first. You can't have it on your own. You can't have it on your terms. You can't have it the way you want to have it. You have to have it God's way. And the Bible says they did all of this. And finally, we get to chapter 7 where our text is. And the ark comes to the house of Abinadab. And now it's there for some 20 years. And notice the text in verse 2. That time was long. For it was 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It's a long journey to travel Christendom without the presence of God. Meeting Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and just having a few moments to talk to each other and to speak to each other, but not having the presence of God. See, the presence of God makes the difference. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. You know when you're in the presence of God because there's something that shifts in your mood. You know when you're in the presence of God because turmoil and hell can be going on all around you and you still got joy. I wish somebody, you know when you're in the presence of God because you can go to your job and your job says we got to shut down in a couple of weeks and you leave out shouting while everybody is there mourning and pouting. Why are you so happy? I'm not happy because I heard one brother say this, happiness is based on happenings. I've got joy and that joy that I, my God, I feel that this joy that I have, the world can't give it to me and the world can't take it away. I've got joy because the joy didn't come from my boss. It didn't come from my job. It came from the Lord and he, my God, I've got joy of the Holy Ghost inside of me because that's what the presence of God does. In his presence, people who came in bowed down and depressed, they get healed in the presence of God. Jesus was sitting down preaching a sermon. And the Bible says that a woman walked in, bowed together, and she couldn't stand up straight. She was like that for 18 years. She was going to church for 18 years, but without the presence of the Lord. And one Sunday morning, his presence showed up. 
Jesus was there. And while he was preaching, the woman walked in. It's a sad thing when the church becomes comfortable with bondage. They got used to seeing her that way. It didn't even bother them. It should bother us when we see people bound by drugs. It should bother us when we see people bound by alcohol. It should bother us, not cause us to hate them, but cause us to love them and tell them who Jesus is. That's what his presence is. Jesus stopped preaching and said, woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. And the Bible says instantly, 18 years of bondage was gone. I wish I had somebody here who knew what I went instantly. When you get in the presence of God, 15 years of depression can leave. 20 years of alcohol can leave. Whatever you're bound by, in his presence, you can be delivered. Thank you, Jesus. I need his presence. I need his presence. They came to Mizpah. And when they got there, the Bible says they heard that the Philistines were on their way. I'm, I'm, I'm going to close in a moment. When they heard that the Philistines were on their way, they got afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they kept losing. They had come against them so many times. They had no faith that they could defeat them. But this time, when they were about to go into battle, they were called to repentance because they had strong spiritual leadership. See, when you have a leader who is in the presence of God, he's not going to preach what you want to hear. See, they may not have wanted to hear that, but Samuel said, listen, this is what you're going to have to do. He said, listen, he said, you got to put away all of what you have. He said, you're going to have to put away your false gods. You're going to have to put away your idols. you got to turn away from something. You say you want the presence of God, you've got to give up something. You can't say, God, move on me, but I'm going to stay just like I am. No, it's a requirement to change. Samuel. They were afraid. And the people cried out to Samuel. They said, Samuel, please cry out to God for us that he'll save us from the hand of the Philistines. He, they said, please cry. They said, we, we, we're weak. Every time we go against them, they, they destroy us. But Samuel, something in you that we may not have. And you know how to get in touch with God. You, you know how to call on God. I, I love the old saints. They knew how to call on God. Where I'm from, some of them were not even educated, but they knew how to call on the name of the Lord. I remember when my mom was going through a terrible situation. My father had died with cancer or he was sick and about it. I don't remember the exact time. And it was so much debt. I mean hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. And there was his old mother in the church of God in Christ. Her name was Mother Sarah. And if you, listen, you hadn't really had a prayer meeting till you prayed with somebody who was from yesteryear. She called my mom on the phone. We didn't have cell phones. She couldn't text. 
she picked up the phone and called. My mom picked up the phone. Mother Sarah didn't say, hey, Sister Ernestine, how you doing? What you up to? As soon as my mom said hello, all she heard was, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you right now on behalf of my sister. And strength came into my mom. And you know what? My father died when he was 41. We had nothing. We didn't have a car. We barely had a house. We had to walk to church. We couldn't get new clothes. Mom wore the same shoes every week. But guess what she had the audacity to do? Every Sunday she was dancing and shouting and praising God. She was uneducated. And God blessed her to be an interior designer and open her own business. God blessed her to become the first black female contractor in the state of Mississippi. Don't you tell me what God cannot do when his presence is there. Somebody ought to give God praise. That's the God that we serve. My mom was scrubbing toilets and God blessed her and opened a business. He can do it for you if you desire his presence. Don't lose the glory. It's your it's what, it's what you have that makes you unique. It's what you have that makes you, you think, some, some of us think we're special. I was talking to somebody, and he said, you're blessed to be in my presence. <laughs> I can't tell you what I was thinking, but I, I don't know if that was holy or not. But I said, man, please. I'm blessed to be in the presence of God. Now, don't get me wrong. When God's presence is in you, you can go into a situation where there's nothing but darkness and something about it changes. Because not because you showed up, but because God's presence is in you. You can go into a secular environment and people start getting convicted. Why? Because you are the temple of God and his presence dwells in you. See, the temple of the Old Testament, we are the temple now. So this presence that was so unique, the Bible says in, when, in 1 Chronicles uh, that when Samuel had made an end of praying, the glory of God had filled the house. And the priest couldn't walk in because the presence was so strong. Man, I want that. It was so strong. That presence is in you and I today. Think about that for just a moment. Because of what Christ did, Jesus said in St. John chapter 14, he says the spirit of truth, the world can't receive, but you know him, for he dwells with you. This is now. He said, but I got to give you a future reference. Basically what he was saying, after I die, he shall be in you. And man, I'm so glad for Calvary because Calvary is not just a catchphrase or a cliche. Calvary unlocked the door for us to enter into the presence of God. When Jesus died, remember I told you about that curtain, that veil. When Jesus died, the Bible says that big curtain ripped from top to bottom. And it opened up access to the throne of God. And you and I need not daily as they did to offer up sacrifices of animals because animals couldn't take away sin. He said, but we can enter into the 
throne, boldly into the throne of grace. How? Because our great high priest has passed into the heavens that's a legal process in other words Jesus went into the presence of God and sat down and opened up access for whosoever will and now you and I can be in the presence of God every single day of our lives Israel lost the glory they lost the very thing that made them distinct but when they cried out to God when they turned away from those idols, Samuel cried out for them, prayed for them. And the enemy that kept whipping them, the Bible says God confused them. And those people came out and conquered those Philistines. And they had the victory. Not only that, but for the rest of the reign of Samuel, they never had problems with the Philistines again if you are struggling tonight if you're bound by something tonight if you'll turn away from whatever it is and turn back to the Lord he gives us such a degree of victory that whatever was destroying you or had you bound he says you don't ever have to have a problem with that again that's the presence of God and what he can do in your life you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to walk around with your head hung low because you've suffered defeat. But you can turn around and God can make good of the word that he's told us. Just please don't lose the glory.